Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we are all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Hey, before we uh, get going too much into the message, there's just all morning long, there's been a song in my mind that I'd, I'd like us to just sing it together. Just, just cause, so you can join me if you know it, and just sing the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end, they are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Great is your faithfulness. God, thank you for your faithfulness. I pray you'd speak to us, Lord, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just make a statement and ask you to see if it might be something you'd be willing to say with me. And the statement is just simply this. I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. Just say it again. I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. I'm gonna say it again. I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. That's my direction. That's where I'm pointing my life because I wanna be one who could say, I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. And I think it's something that sometimes we need to get our hearts around. And, and, now, and now I wanna make, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna share something and make another statement. So, uh, Earlier this week, uh, I had a little uh, problem. I, I ran out of coffee beans, and so I'm like, oh, I have a gift card to this one coffee shop. I'll just go there real quick. I'll get some beans. Some of you are shaking your heads with me in pity because you know what it's like when you wake up and you realize you didn't have any coffee beans. Anyway, I, I drove over to this place, and, and, and I walked into the coffee shop, and a friend was sitting there with two other gentlemen, and he said, John Hansen. And so I went over to the table, and uh, I walked up to this table, a few guys sitting there together having a, some kind of an early morning meeting. And I said, hey, brother, it's great to see you not naked on a Friday morning. And then it just got really awkward and quiet all of a sudden at that little table. It's like, what, what is it? And my friend said, well, I, you really like to know where this is going. And then I realized, like, oh, I need to give some explanation. I said, oh, yeah, I usually see this brother in the gym locker room making his way from the showers to the lockers at this time on a Friday morning. And and you know what, as I was walking away from that, I was saying to myself as I was getting into the car, I'm like, you know, uh, context is everything, isn't it? (laughs) And sometimes having some context in mind helps you understand why you make the statements that you make and how you got there and what the implication of it is. Some of you right now are are imagining this scenario and you're laughing about it. Anyway, I'm going to make another statement. And then I want to give you a a, a good amount of context for that statement and then take you into some scripture about it. So the statement that I want to make from all my heart is that in light of everything taking place in the world and the Middle East, I stand with Israel and the Jewish people and I pray for their victory over Hamas. That is a statement that I personally deeply embrace, and I'm going to give you the context for why I would say that, but I stand with Israel and the Jewish people, and I pray for their victory over Hamas. 
So that's the statement I want to make. And now I want to give a bunch of context for why I would get there and, and invite you to maybe go on a journey with me to, to understand that too in your own way. But I'm going I'm to start this way. First of all, I stand with the Jewish people and Israel in this moment because I am a believer in Jesus Christ who is the Jewish Messiah. So I'm going to start there with, with simply stating that, that Jesus, my Jesus, he, he, when he was crucified, was identified by the insignia on the cross, the king of the Jews. He, he was recognized and called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus taught in synagogue after synagogue as a recognized Jewish rabbi teaching from the Old Testament law, the Torah. Jesus was one who uh, lived in a place called Nazareth that uh, is currently part of what's known as the West Bank and occupied by 80% Muslim people. But as Jesus grew up, it was his hometown and it was recognized as a land that was part of the Jewish tribe of Naphtali at one of the 12 tribes. Jesus spoke Aramaic and did his ministry in the land of Israel around the place known as the Lake or the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, when he came on the scene, he, he, he came on the scene and the very first to believe in who he was as the promised Jewish Messiah were Jewish Israelites by the name of James and Peter and John and Andrew. Jewish Israelites, the first to believe in who he is as the promised Jewish Messiah. And now, because of those Jewish Israelites believing in who the promised Jewish Messiah is and, and running with his message, and now I get to know myself as a child of God. A child of God. But as I, as I think about who I am as a child of God, I recognize that it's, it's thanks to the Jewish Israelites who in Jerusalem, after the resurrection, it says thousands were added daily to their number that were being saved. There were thousands of Jewish Israelites that said, the Messiah has come. And those Jewish Israelites who embraced Messiah Jesus heard his call after his resurrection as he was ascending, go therefore into all the world, all the nations. And they recognized, aha, it's our Jewish Messiah, but his kingdom and his message is not only for us, it's now for the entire world. And so I, I believe in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and because of my belief in him, uh, I'm a child of God, born again. If you have put your trust in Jesus as your savior, you put your trust in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. And when you were born again, you were born again as a child of God, but not just God, sort of choose your own adventure, God, however you wanna make him up, God, whatever the philosophers say, God, but specifically, the God revealed by the Old Testament, the scriptures from which Jewish Jesus Messiah taught that promised and delivered revelation about who God is as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so as a child of God, it's very specific. It's God as revealed in the Jewish Old Testament first as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I grow as a Christian by embracing the revelation of who God is as comes in the Jewish 
writings that we call the Bible, the Old Testament, and it is a faith that is inextricably connected to the Jewish people and their willingness to hold with a fiery passion the words of the prophets, the words of the Torah, to do the work to take those holy revelation words and write them down and to then carry them and then to then copy them. I can thank the Jewish rabbis that sat diligently to copy those words and multiply them in something called the Septuagint, that they could be translated into Greek and we could have an Old Testament that comes to us in English because of these amazing believers, Jewish people who said, this is a revelation, we're gonna pass it on. And so we have a faith in, in, in a new covenant but it's based on the faithfulness of God to the old covenant. And and so here we are as a group of people who have a new identity. We identify ourselves as Christians, as people of the new covenant, but we embrace and affirm and thank God for the old covenant. And the people of the old covenant that faithfully steward the promises and prophecies and the message of the Jewish Messiah that we could one day have our new covenant. And, and yes, as a new covenant people, we are the church. And our identity as the church is very different than the identity of the Jewish community in the Jewish faith. Yet, the foundation of the Jewish faith is the foundation that our new covenant is built upon. And, and so when I, when I think about these things, I recognize that I have a new identity revealed to me in the Bible, part of the, part of the range of what God now says about me because I'm born again. I'm a child of God, and specifically, in light of what I'm sharing right now, I am the seed of Abraham, and I am a wild olive branch grafted in to the tree of Israel, the Jewish community. So so these are two things I want us to get our heart around together today. And maybe we don't uh, get into these things as much as we should, but let me at least start here. Galatians 3.29. Galatians 3.29. I want you to read it out loud together with me. Ready? Go. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's say it again one more time. Go. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we have a lineage, and the lineage begins with Abraham. Abraham, God spoke to Abraham when his family was in Aram, and he said, get up and go to the land that I will show you. And many of us who are believers, we would say, yeah, I recognize that story. I love that one. (laughs) Go to the land I will show you. Beautiful. That was Abraham who did that. And the land that God said, I will show you, is the land where the wars are taking place right now. God spoke to Abraham and said, you go there. And Abraham got up and went, a journey of faith. He didn't know what would happen, but God, Yahweh God, or Jehovah God, if you're hearing with an older version of how to pronounce the ineffable, unpronounceable name, and and, and he went, and he went to this place, and in Genesis 12, it's recorded that God spoke to him when he got to this promised land that we would now call Israel, and God spoke, God spoke, and said to Abraham, I'm giving you this land. This land will belong to you and your descendants forever. I didn't make that up. 
God spoke that, and I happened to believe the Bible. I could disagree and have my arms across my chest and say, I don't know why God, that doesn't seem fair. Deal with it. God spoke it. I'm giving this land to you and to your descendants forever. And God spoke and said, I will bless those that you bless. I will curse those that curse you. And, and, and this will be your land. That was God's sovereign choice for reasons that may go beyond our comprehension. I'm okay with that. But I am going to embrace this revelation that he is the God of Abraham. And God spoke to Abraham and said, all the nations will be blessed through you. As you enter this promised land, all the nations will be blessed through you. And so here I am, and I would put myself in the category of all the nations. Because when the Old Testament talks about all the nations, it means all the other ones besides the Jewish people. And God had you know, Danish nations in mind, like mine. God had Irish nations in mind. God had Italian nations. God had African nations in mind. God had Indian nations in mind. God had Na Native American. God had South American. And on and on it goes. And his promise to Abraham was all the nations are going to be blessed through you. And we follow the, tra the trend through scripture and we find that this is the truth, that, that we get to live as new covenant people. And, and if I... If I could, I'll take a moment and explore what it says in, in uh, Romans chapter 11 to describe us as Abraham's seed who are tied into the tree. Israel is like a tree, and it is a foundation that we grow from. 11, uh, nine, uh, 17, the scripture says, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among others, now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Do you know who the root is? The root is the Jewish community of faith. And as Christians, it, from time to time, we need to remember that, that our Jesus was Jewish, inherited the completion of the promises of the prophetic promise for Messiah. And we are nourished by everything from the Jewish root that we are grafted into. And, and so I, I, I make the statement, again, with, with a, a grateful heart, really, that I, I stand with Israel and the Jewish people. I'm praying for their victory over Hamas to really understand this identity as people of God grafted in. I mean, we'd have to spend hours studying through Romans 9, 10, and 11. We'd have to study Galatians 3 in its entirety, John 8 and Genesis 2, and on and on it goes. But it's important that we have this in mind. And I know that when I make a statement like what, the one I have made a few times, I stand with Israel in the Jewish community and I'm praying for their victory over Hamas, some of us are able to quickly say amen, because maybe we've thought about these things for a while. Others of us are struggling and saying, why though? Because what about? And there, there are a lot of legitimate whatabouts in a moment like this. And when I say that I, I stand with Israel and the Jewish people, I'm not saying I stand against people, innocent people living in Gaza or the West Bank. Not at all, actually. I, I'm, I'm spending time praying, God, protect any innocent people who are living in Gaza and the West Bank. Protect them, God. I would stand with the innocent people living in those areas in the same way. But there is a unique solidarity with the Jewish community because of who I am 
as the seed of Abraham through, importantly, through the Isaiah covenant. I stand with Israel, and, and I'm, I'm praying for, for their victory. So I want to talk a little bit about what has, what has happened and how we got there. Maybe five weeks ago, for me to say, I stand with Israel, nobody would have thought much about it. But then all of a sudden, October 7th happens, and feelings are, are stirred up. How did we get here? How we got here, if I trace the broad brush strokes of history, is first of all, as it's identified in Genesis 12, God gave the land to Abraham and his descendants. And the 12 tribes of Israel come from Abraham. Those are his descendants. That's the Israelite Hebrew community. And when the Hebrew Israelite community came into the land, sometimes they got it right. Sometimes they got it wrong, really wrong. And God dealt with them and they were brought off into exile, even through the prophets recognizing that it was a corrective move from God. And sometimes they came back to the land and got it right again. And sometimes they got it wrong again and came into exile. The exile happened from the forces of Syria. It happened from the forces of Babylon. It happened from the forces of the Roman Empire. And, and, and then Jesus came on the scene. And as Jesus came on the scene and established the new covenant community, that doesn't mean that the old covenant community ceases. They're still growing that is intended to happen in the old covenant community called the Jewish people. And the tree that is the Jewish community has growing yet to do. That's part of the prophetic nature of the word of God. And yet, what happened was that after the time of Jesus, the Roman emperors began coming in on crusade after crusade to crush and annihilate the Jewish people. You got to know this history. I mean, you had Emperor Vespasian coming in, trying to crush the Jews and take over that land. You had Emperor Titus coming in, trying to crush the, the Jews and take out the land. And then you had, most importantly, Emperor Hadrian. And Emperor Hadrian came, and his mission was literally to stamp out the Jewish people and their religion from the face of the earth. Sounds familiar. And this hatred inside of Emperor Hadrian towards specifically the Jewish people, was with a mission to stamp them out and destroy them. And in 135 to 138 AD, Hadrian comes in and kills massive numbers of Jewish people, exiles massive numbers of Jewish people. Off to Europe they went. And, and because he hated the Jewish people so much, he said, I'm going to mock them as I go. And I'm changing the name of their land. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name their land for their arch enemies. Remember Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine. Well, I'm going to name their land after their biggest enemy. I'm going to call it the land of the Philistines. You, you translate that into Latinized or Romanized language and you get Palestine. Palestine, land of the Philistines. But it was never called that until 135 A.D., and it was called that because of the desire to mock this people by Emperor Hadrian from Europe coming down. So, so, so think about that. Keep that in mind when you think about, well, the Palestinians, the, these people, they, they, they're the original inhabitants of this land. When you hear that kind of a statement being made, you, you have to analyze the history and ask, is that really the truth? Is that really the truth? Because look, let me take it a little further. If you do want to say, yeah, Palestine, and you now understand that it's, it's from the word Philistines, then ask, who are the Philistines? Were they the original inhabitants of the land? You will find that the Philistines are people that came from Greece 
and the island of Crete and other parts of Greece down to the Holy Land as an invading force to occupy it. So have that in mind. Know that history. Be aware of that. And then think about what has happened. So this some kind of demonic spirit at work in, in Hadrian saying, we're going to crush that nation. We're going to stamp them out of existence. You, you move through history, you get to the 600s AD, and, and the Muslim community was born. And they came to the Holy Land. Abu Bakr, in particular, in the 630s, came with a desire to totally snuff out the Jewish community, came with warring faction after warring fashion to dominate and occupy Jerusalem and all of Israel. They came to do that, so much so that they said, that temple, we're taking it. They took every synagogue that they could and turned it into a mosque, and they took the temple and said, we're going to turn that into a mosque. Occupying forces from the Muslim community came into the Holy Land. You you need to know this and have this in mind when you consider what's being spoken in the news about who's an occupying force. And and then you you, you fast forward through history and and that, that, that demonic spirit of hatred for the Jews erupts again in, in a number of different ways, but you, you get finally to the 1940s and that hatred for the Jewish community, demonically inspired because of what they represent as the promise of God for salvation, demonic eruption through Hitler and the Nazis to, to exterminate millions of Jewish people. I mean, this actually happened. It, and it was so atrocious that the League of Nations solemnly agreed together, we, we have to do something to make things right. And of an accord, of all the League of Nations c- created this, this mandate that allowed for the Jews to return from all over, wherever they were, to the promised land. And that happened in 1948. And you had a, a, a million Jews come from Europe. You had 1.5 million Jews come from Russia. You had another million Jews from Arab lands all at once coming as the world agreed together that they should and came and, and God's prophetic promise in Ezekiel 36 and 37 happened before, before the eyes of a watching world. And anyone who had studied the scriptures could see plain as day, wow, what we've been waiting for has now happened. And when that happened, the prophetic timeline seemed to click into a new mode of of completion. And so we get to a place now where we have a prophetic promise being fulfilled before our eyes, and I think we should talk more about it. So uh, since 1948 in particular, there have been plenty of people throughout the Christian community that have said, what has happened is the hand of God. That that nation could actually be reconstituted after all these years, in keeping with the promises in Ezekiel 36 and 37, that's God. And so many in the Christian community have, have uh, felt a, a love and a stirring towards the nation of Israel. And, uh, and uh, actually, there's a, a man in our church that I want to introduce you to who is one who has been a part of that. Uh, Larry Green is a, a pastor. He was personally mentored by Chuck Smith and was part of the Calvary Chapel movement. Chuck Smith sent him out to Long Island to plant churches, and he planted two churches and then pastored another one out there. And, uh, and along the way, uh, 
through Pastor Chuck Smith's influence, he, he got a, a love for Israel that kind of got stirred up inside of him. And, and because he had been almost 10 years in the US Navy, he had that military experience and, and through a different set of opportunities, had an opportunity to go volunteer with the Israeli Defense Force. And for almost two decades now, Pastor Larry has been going every year, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months, uh, generally every year, to, to live in Israel and serve the IDF as a volunteer. And uh, I, I think it's just a, a very unique story that Pastor Larry has lived in this regard, and he's got insight. And he actually just came back from being in Israel for the last month and has a unique perspective to share with us. Would you welcome Pastor Larry Green? Come join me. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Larry, for, for joining me today. Well, thank you, Pastor. You're on. Hello? Yeah, there you go. So I, I want you to just share briefly. So he, there's something interesting. He's going to talk about being in Israel in this last month, but he was supposed to go on October 5th. Uh, would you just tell th that story of what happened, why sure. you didn't end up going then? And Yes. Um, I was off book for uh, October 5th to head to Israel, and uh, there are just so many things uh, that I needed to accomplish before I left, so I changed it to the 10th. And, but the 6th of October, I was to be with a very good friend of mine, Gil Tassa, uh, up in Yad Mordecai, right near the Gaza Strip. Well, as you know, many of those villages uh, were actually um, invaded by Hamas, and many were killed. Gil was one of them that was caught in the uh, crossfire. He was killed along with his um, one son, the other two sons were with him as he um, expelled all of his bullets. Gil was a, a big guy, known to play around with. A great guy, everyone loved him. And as he finished uh, all of his uh, bullets shooting at Hamas, uh, they threw a grenade inside his house and he jumped upon it and he was killed during that time. And um, another son was fishing outside of um, uh, Yad Mordecai, the uh, Mashab there, and uh, he was killed as well. Mm. So the other two were in the hospital in critical condition, and I believe they made it, uh, but very tragic. And you, Larry, would have been in Gil's house that night on, on the 7th Correct. if he had been there right. according to the original plan. Exactly. And it seems to me that God just wants you to be able to continue to serve in this unique way. Would you just share Amen. a little bit? I mean, none of us know what it's like to go every year and just serve as a volunteer along the uh, side of the IDF. Um, share the, the story, especially, though, of this recent trip to Israel. Uh, you, came, you went right after the invasion happened. What, where were you and what did you do as a volunteer okay. along the IDF? Yeah. Well, when that happened, as you know, most of the airlines uh, stopped flying into Israel. And so I knew that I could get to London. So I was very upset with my friend being killed. And uh, I was determined to go to Israel regardless. Uh, some of those uh, volunteers in uh, uh, California did not make it. Most of them did not make it because the airlines closed down. So I decided to go to London and I got stuck there for a couple days and a friend of mine, Bernie Weinberger, he's a Jew, and uh, he got me in on a Serbian airline to uh, Tel Aviv. They were about the only one, that and LL Airlines was the only one to get there. So I finally made it there and then I, I met um, my group. They picked us up, the IDF, at Ben Gurion Airport. Uh, to do the three weeks there, and uh, it was just a, a very traumatic time. A lot of pressure, a lot of uh, chaos uh, that was just um, very tragic to see. All of the murders that took place and 
uh, the bodies, and, and um, just again, Israel it was in such a, a state of shock because this was one of the worst um, invasions really since the Holocaust of World War II that they've experienced. Over 1,400 Israelis have died during this time, and uh, they were murdered savagely, uh, burnt to death in their houses and in their cars as they huddled together. Uh, and, and as they went in after that, when the IDF took control back of the land, they went in and they found people in their safe houses huddled together, four or five in a family, and they were burnt like literally toast, and they had to pry them out to get those bodies out, out of cars. And as you know, the, the rape that took place, the, the murder of, of young kids, women that had uh, their babies cut out of their stomachs, uh, and uh, the, the umbilical cord still attached, and babies, uh, their heads were severed off, and it just went on and on. They've never seen anything uh, such like this since they became a nation. So it, it traumatized the, the country, and it still is today. And, and Larry, what, wow. Yeah, that's just heavy. <laughs> and you, you had to see all of that up yes, close and yes. be a part of the operation. What, what kinds of things were you doing, like at volunteering with the IDF in this last month? Okay. Uh, every year we go, we do different, different things. This year, uh, because Israel called up over 300,000 reservists, they had their military, the IDF, they called up the reservists, and they didn't have enough... Um, uh, equipment to equip the uh, soldiers to go into Gaza uh, adequately. Hmm. So some wealthy Jews in America and other places, they flew um, these vests. They, they were ceramic vests that we put inside of the, the jackets that they would wear uh, going into Gaza uh, to protect them from bullets shot by snipers uh, up in buildings and so forth. And so we did that, we did medical equipment, we got um, together, I mean, tens of thousands of needles and syringes and all kinds of things you could think of, uh, scalpels and everything that doctors can use for the wounded mm. that would come out of Gaza um, barely, you know, alive. So that's pretty much it. So as you helped equip the IDF forces to go into Gaza, and we hear different kinds of headlines about w w what is happening there, in your view, from just having been there, what's going on? Is the IDF going in and just mowing down innocent, innocent people? Like, what's really happening on that front? Okay. Well, again, it's very important to understand this. As you look at the news around the world, a lot of times it's very slanted. You, you really don't get the full picture or the story. Uh, Israel would never mow down anyone. They believe in life. They traded one of their prisoners years ago for hundreds of, of uh, terrorists because that's how much they love life and they believe that God gave life to everyone and it takes a lot for them to take a life. Uh, and so they are very peaceful people but even when you heard about the hospital being hit, um, it, it was really uh, not true because Israel um, had pictures of, of that raid when all these missiles were going off and one of them went haywired and actually hit not the hospital but the parking lot of the hospital and there were a couple people killed, and that was about it. And around the world, you have, um, you have uh, Turkey that really came against uh, Israel during that time, and um, Erdogan of Turkey uh, just really caused a, a lot of uprising in Turkey, and not only Turkey, but um, a lot of the um, Muslim nations around the world. Uh, that is so far from the truth, because every time Israel would want to drop bombs or something, 
They would always drop leaflets the day before. They, they do different tactics to warn the people, get out of this area. They don't want anybody killed whatsoever. And so they do believe in life, and they keep it very sacred. What, what about Hamas? In your observation, being stationed and living there literally a mile from Gaza, uh, what, do you, what can you tell us about Hamas from your perspective? Who are they? And why are they doing what they're doing? What, is, what have you observed? Okay, well, Hamas was really, um, that faction of this radical wing was actually um, uh, created, in a sense, in the latter 80s. And they are part of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a very radical group uh, around Israel's borders. And uh, again, uh, they're, they're savages. And their one goal is to exterminate Israel. That is their goal. And all of the nations that surround Israel today, you're talking about from Lebanon to Syria to Egypt uh, to um, uh, Jordan, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, these are all, what they have in common is they're all Muslims. And so their one goal is to stamp out the Jews. And that's evident from when they became a nation in 1948, May 14th, May 15th, the very next day, they were attacked by five of the Arab nations, the Muslim nations, around their borders. And as you know, Israel won that war as they continue to win the wars throughout uh, Israel's history. And again, God is with them. And, and Pastor, you did such a wonderful job uh, talking about Israel and the empires, Hadrian and so forth, that came against them. And uh, if, if, when you look at Israel, I, I mean, you look at a miracle. I mean, it is a miracle in itself. Even uh, um, Mark Twain, when he visited uh, Israel back in 1860-something, he rode his camels and different things through the desert, and, and he looked at it, and he hardly came across a single person. He said, even the desert is unfriendly to this land. You hardly saw a, a palm tree or even, a, um, what is it, <laughs> the... the um, Oh, my goodness. I'm I can't going help it. You know. <laughs> Come on now. Um, cactuses. It's cactuses. So it was a barren land, but yet God called this nation uh, once again from the ash heap of history. They were taken into uh, captivity. They were dispersed, as you beautifully said. Um, and they were, in a sense, spanked because of them going after idols and false gods. God had warned them many times that this would happen. They went into Babylonian captivity after they came back, and, and, and they never really recovered. And what really sent them into this uh, dysphoria when God uh, cast them and sent them throughout the world was because of the rejection of their Mashiach, their Messiah, Jesus Christ. He held them responsible for not knowing the day of their visitation. And, and as we mm. talked the other day, many times um, Jesus, um, when he would heal someone, he'd say, shh, don't tell anybody. You know, be quiet, but just go and offer the offering of Moses that was, that was foretold, you know, to the priest. And they would do that. And even many times when he would go to the temple, uh, he would disguise himself. They asked him, are you going? And he said, yeah, or maybe, you know, but he disguised himself. But they tried to take him by force through, through the healings and through the, the bread um, that he um, uh, gave and the miracles of the 5,000, 5, excuse me, and others. And they wanted to take him by force and make him a king. But he said, my time has not yet come. Yes. What was that time? It was prophesied in the book of Daniel to the day. Mm. The day when they could have marked it off on their calendar, 77s of weeks were determined upon Israel. 
And I know that's kind of confusing to some of you if you've never studied it. I've looked at this for 40 years. And so I challenge you to be Bereans, as the book of Acts says. Receive the word with joy, but yet study these things that everything pastors and every person, what they speak from the pulpit, you study those things to see if those things are true. And so they should have known the day of their visitation. Rejoice greatly, ye daughters of Jerusalem, for thy king cometh lowly, sitting upon the colt, the foal of an ass. He made that triumphant entry. They praised him, and then the enemies, or, or Israel actually re rejected him as their Messiah, uh, days later, and he was gone. He, he went to a cross, even as Daniel says, Messiah will be cut off without receiving the kingdom and, and so forth. So it was all prophesied, but he held them responsible to understand the day of their visitation. From March 14, 445 BC, they could have marked it off on their calendar to the day when Jesus would make his triumphant entry into Jerusalem as the Messiah, the Prince. And so they should have known. Pastor Larry, as, as a pastor with a love for biblical prophecy, help us understand in your view, how is what's taking place right now between Israel and Hamas connected to the prophetic timeline? Glad you asked. You got a week? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know, you know, it's amazing. I think about the late great planet Earth that was um, written by Hal Lindsey back in 1970. I, was, I came through that whole revival, the, the Jesus movement, the hippies and yippies and yappies and everything else, and, and um, it was an exciting time. Um, some of you are younger. You will never, you've never experienced something like that, and the movie just recently out portrayed some of that, but it was an incredible move of God. Now, Hell Lindsay in those books, and a lot of people at that time, they put together a lot of these wars that they didn't quite know how they fit. But as we get closer to that day approaching, and I believe we are, we are on the very verge of the Psalm, what's called the Psalm 83 war that is about to take place. And there, there are the nations that are mentioned once again that will attack Israel. And they all right now are poised to attack Israel. Lebanon is shooting missiles. When they really get into the act, over 150,000 missiles that are pointing into Israel right now, um, they are going to be in for a big surprise because uh, Bibi said that if you even dare get involved in this war with Hamas in Gaza, we can take care of that. We will turn Beirut into a moonscape. And they mean it. And I believe that it's going to happen. Uh, perhaps very, very soon. I think this is the beginning of the Psalm 83 war. Also it talks about the destruction of Damascus. Damascus it says, uh, in the evening, there's trouble. In the morning, Damascus is no more. It's a heap of rubble, and it will never be rebuilt. Damascus is the oldest, most continuously lived-in city of the ancient world. It's never been destroyed. And so we see a lot of things. You've seen this cat-and-mouse game with, with um, uh, Syria. Uh, Israel has bombed uh, the Aleppo, as well as Damascus airport several times because they want to stop the, these precision-guided missile parts coming into Israel that they were coming in from Iran, and they were retrofitting these missiles. They were making them, they were larger missiles. They were more accurate now, and so Israel had to stop this, and uh, pretty much out of every nine out of ten shipments, they stopped, but there are those that got through, and so it's a very deadly, deadly world. We see Egypt ready to fall. 
We see um, Syria ready to get into this. We, we see um, uh, Erdogan in, in Turkey. So all those nations, um, Jordan as well. I've spent many times in Jordan, a beautiful um, country in itself. Uh, a lot of the Sunnis there are very friendly uh, Muslim people. I feel safe walking down the street at any time of night in, in Jordan. But yet, everything the Bible talks about in Psalm 83 and Ezekiel, as you mentioned, 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, uh, and then Ezekiel 38 and 39. But we see clearer, the, the, um, the more we get closer to that day of the Lord's appearing, much clearer these prophecies and how these wars are going to work out. Three wars... We believe it will be the Psalm 83 war, and it will happen in this order. Secondly, the Gog-Magog war. There are conditions that have to be met that are not met right now for Russia to come down and attack Israel, but they're getting close. And, and then also the battle of Armageddon. Um, it's, the battle is not at Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, it's actually a staging area for all the nations of the world to come up their last push to exterminate the Jew in Jerusalem that... Many of them at that point had fled to Basra uh, during this last three and a half years where they will be protected by God. For a lot of us. <laughs> that's a lot to take in. And, and a lot of us may have, in our Christian walk, been mildly aware of some of those kinds of things and thought, no, 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 no I don't want to really think about that. Because God is love and I just want to stay in that. And yet, God who is love has spoken prophetic words. There, there, there are some in, from an amillennialist perspective that would kind of, in a way, say, ah, this is all figurative language and it's mostly already happened. I would not put myself in that camp. I would put myself in the camp, very broadly speaking, called futurist. Some, some would say very specifically dispensationalist. I, I, I'm allergic a little bit to the confines of I know exactly the, you know, when, where the parameters of the dispensations are. I'm not so sure. But to say futurist, as in so many of the promises regarding the, the end times in Israel simply have not yet happened. And some of them, as Pastor Larry have just shared, seem to be unfolding before our very eyes. And, and here, here's, here's what I, I want to make sure that you would hear. And I think Larry and I stand together on this. Jesus, when he spoke in Matthew 24, and you should maybe just read Matthew 24 for homework this week, nice and slow and carefully and meditate on it. And Jesus talked about what we broadly speak of as the day of the Lord, the end times. And, and it's about ultimately his great second coming. Amen. And, and, you know, half of the church every single week recites either the apostles or the Nicene Creed, the church, the, the, the church of Jesus all around the world, the Nicene Creed, in which, in which we say, Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. Like that's just a core belief of what it, what it is to believe in Jesus the Messiah, that he will come again. But in, in Matthew 25, Jesus says, you know, let me tell you a story. 10 young women. He's telling a story, a parable. They've got their grooms coming. And they need to, they need to like, stay awake, stay ready. And, and five of them were foolish and just went, ah, no, 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 I don't want to think about that, I don't care about that, and no oil in their lamps. And five were wise and had oil in their lamps. And, and this scripture, I want you to make sure to hear. Matthew 24, 
44. In Matthew 24, 44, Jesus said, I want you to be ready. Why don't you read it out loud with me uh, from the screen? Ready, go. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And that would include you. (laughs) As much as you have embraced so much of the prophetic timeline and Hal Lindsey and whoever else, he will come at a time when you will not expect it. But the point that Jesus was making was, I want, I want you to live ready. And so my resolve is, I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. And I want you to say that statement again with me. Now with the context in mind. Ready, say it. I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. Just say it again. I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. To live ready means we're gonna live with a heart full of faith, trusting him, believing the gospel. We're gonna live with with a desire to experience more and more the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us. We're gonna desire to live more and more to the degree that Holy Spirit would empower us to live a holy life, to live in the holiness of our God, and to desire more and more to share the glory of the mercy of God that's available through Jesus. That's oil in the lamp, that's readiness. I wanna live ready for the return of the Lord. And so for me, living ready for the return of the Lord is not about fixating on uh, whatever scenario of timelines that that could be possible. Even in the moment that we're living through right now, as frightening as it could seem, but instead to say, well, for me to live ready for the return of the Lord means I'm going to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And learn how to love the people around me, bringing the gospel to the people around me, being the salt, being the light, stirring up and provoking as much as I can other people to turn to the Lord too. And especially in the Jewish community, to pray, not only for the peace of Jerusalem, but for that peace to be embodied by the coming of the Prince of Peace and the desire, even and especially among the Jewish community, to turn to Jesus That is what God desires, and it's what we can pray for. So would you just join me in thanking Pastor Larry for joining me for this message today? Thank you, brother. Thank you. And thank you for serving God's people Israel. Amen. In a volunteer capacity. So so hear this for a moment. Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That is the, the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. In the end, that is, even in light of all that we've talked about, that is where I want to land, which is a, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I know how I got it. It came through the tree of the Jewish community that stewarded that life and that message so that I could receive it, but it is the gospel that I'm forgiven, that I'm saved, that I'm right with God, that I have a place in heaven when I die, that I don't fear hell, that I get to know and walk with the King of Kings every single day of my life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Another way to put it is, I am so stinking grateful and glad for the gospel. <laughs> well, flip that a little. And I know that it is the message of salvation. Like, do you know that it's a message of salvation? 
And, and I would make the case that as you could turn, if, you, if we had more, another hour to 1 Thessalonians 4 in the latter half of that, you would find that in the description of the second coming, it is preceded by God's goodness in saying, before this world really goes to hell in a handbasket, because I have a fatherly heart of love for my kids, I am gathering you up to myself in that moment. Before, and I, I, it says, encourage each other with those words. And I do take courage in those words. Some would say, nah, let's just kind of explain away those words and not really think about that. There's no word called the rapture in the Bible. You're right, but there is a description of it. I'll just maybe go, go there very briefly. First Thessalonians 4, we'll sort of wrap up with this, but First Thessalonians 4, 15, it says, according to the Lord's word, that's Jesus' word, we will tell you, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is revelation. It's good news through and through. And so, I want to I make sure that we're doing what we can to invite as many people as possible to know the Lord and also to live ready for the return of the Lord. It's the best thing anybody could do. And so every single one of us who know the Lord, man, we should go, man, that, that is almost fantastical and hard to even imagine, but God, you said that you're going to do that for me. Catch me up to meet you in the air. Whatever word you want to use to describe that, he said he's gonna do that. And it should give you some peace, it should give you some excitement, it should give you some joy to know that you have a father who would say, mm, I got you now, I've got you, my daughter, my son. That day's coming in the day of the return of the Lord. And until then, I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. Now, for somebody, I wanna go back to that Romans 1.16 verse, just one more time, just hear it again. I'm Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not. I hope you would not be either ashamed. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God that brings salvation. Every one of us who have some excitement around what we're hearing today, it's because we have received this gift of salvation. Not because we did it all right and have checked all the boxes perfectly, but because, because we believed in the promised Messiah, Jesus. And being right with God comes by putting your faith in him, your belief in him, Jesus, the promised Messiah, and what he would do to forgive your sin and give you this gift of salvation, that you would have the hope of heaven and walk with a right relationship with the living God every day that you get to be on this planet and learn to live ready for the return of the Lord. I want to just pray that God would allow some of us right now to wake up in whatever way we need to. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your power, your power 
your power that comes in the gospel for salvation. And Lord, I ask that you would allow every single one of us to get truly shaken awake, awake spiritually. First of all, every one of us who are believers already. God, would you allow us to be believers who would be like the 10 wise young women who said, I'm gonna live ready for the return of the Lord. I'm gonna have the oil in my lamp. I'm gonna keep my faith rising. I'm gonna point my trust in him. I'm gonna tell other people about Jesus and how he, he can give the gift of salvation to him. I'm gonna be ready. I'm gonna live ready. I'm gonna be salt and light because it's who I am in Jesus. I pray God for an awakening for some of us. I declare over you while I'm praying for you, that God is waking you up. The spiritual slumber that you've been walking in, he says, come on, get up, get up. I need your salt. I need your light. I need it shining. I need the effect of who I've designed you to be to take full force. So let's go. It's like Jesus is saying, come on, somebody, let's go. You've been messing around, wasting time long enough. It's time to rise up and be who I've called you to be. My gospel people, seed of Abraham, wild olive branch, grafted in, bringing the gospel, bringing the news of Jesus, the, the power of God and the salvation that comes for anyone who believes. Now, God, I pray that you'd also do a spiritual awakening for somebody who just is simply, uh, just it, everything's numb right now. And God, there, there's some of us sitting here who we don't know where we stand with you. We wonder if we're right with you, but we're not sure. God, for this one, I pray for a spiritual awakening right now. And while I'm praying, if you would say, I don't know where I stand with God. I, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't even know how I would be. I'm telling you, you can be right with God by faith in Jesus. You turn to Jesus and you say, I believe in you, Jesus, to be my Messiah and Savior, and I want to do life with you, to walk with you, with you being the Lord of my life. If that's never happened for you, that's what's missing. A moment where you finally turn to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and save you, and you invite him to be the Lord of your life. If that's not happened for you, today, you can turn your life to Jesus and ask him for his gift and he'll give it, his gift of salvation the gift of new life, being born again. While we're praying together, if you're sitting here saying, I want that, I want to be right with God and I want to turn to Jesus, right now I want you to lift your hand really high. Just, it's your decision to finally say, I'm done with all this stuff, I'm turning from it, I want to turn to Jesus. If that's true for you, I want you to lift your hand and make it known right now, I want to turn to Jesus and ask him to forgive my sin and save my life. Raise your hand high or type it into the comments and just simply say, I want to say yes to Jesus and offer my life to him and then pray with me and simply pray and say, Jesus, I give you my life and I put my trust in you. Would you forgive my sins and save me? Jesus, I believe that you are the promised Messiah and that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sin to be forgiven. Jesus Christ, I believe that you conquered death and that you're alive. I believe that you rose from the dead. And so Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and make me new. You're the Lord of my life from this moment on. And I look forward to walking with you, Jesus, living my life with you, Jesus, being guided and led by you, Jesus, because I'm yours from this moment on. And I'm grateful, God, for your goodness and mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Church, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up and begin to honor God by simply saying one more time, I'm living ready for the return of the Lord.
Yeah, just say it one more time. I'm living ready for the return of the Lord. God, we believe. I still believe you're moving. Sing it out, church. I still 